Welcome to the System.ca, the art and science of coaching, providing innovative information on speed, power, recovery, wellness, strength, and conditioning for both athletes and active individuals. I'm always born ready, buddy. Born ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to welcome uh, today's guest. Today's guest is Mark McCoy. And for you, for those who don't know, uh, Mark was a world champion hurdler. He won the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games. Uh, and I believe you're a world record holder. Is that correct? I am. I said a few. I still have one from 1986. It's been a while. Oh. All right. Okay. And so he's, I always considered Mark uh, to be a student of the sport. And uh, I remember seeing you uh, at York University one time. And uh, you were doing tempo, going up and down uh, the uh, the track there, doing push-ups in one end, sit-ups in the other end, and then you'd run up and down. And, and, and I mean, you haven't really changed, in my opinion, in terms of your physicality from what I saw you then to uh, to, to current today. So uh, That's what I'm doing off, the thing. <laughs> yeah, hats off to you for maintaining your uh, for shape because I know a lot of athletes, uh, you know, all that, you know, once they kind of leave, competitive sport they kind of go to the wayside i'm not sure why but i think it's a there's a number of factorial things we know it's not part of our discussion but uh maybe one day we can talk about that but uh anyway so i want to get into um a couple of things here in terms of uh how you uh you know you uh you you, you had a couple of coaches if i remember uh i know you worked a little bit with charlie but not too much but your main coach was malcolm arnold and i want to kind of give the readers i know Charlie's passed, God bless him, but, uh, you know, everybody has some wisdom, I believe, and I think that you need to sort of uh, uh, find the best in people and take that and then, you know, overlook the, the, the flaws if there's any there, right? So give me, give me an idea what, uh, what your experience was, what experience was like with training with Charlie and then also with Malcolm. Um, yeah, sure. Like, I was very fortunate. I, I always tell people, like, you know, there's one thing to be blessed with uh, certain genes. Obviously, you need that, but it's much more, much, much more than that. So I've always, like you said, been a student, and I've always been trying to learn things as I go. Always did. Don't know where I got that from. Probably my dad. Rest his soul. Um, so I learned from coaches all over the world, and I just uh, had a very simple philosophy. And the, I said, I, as you said, I've worked with Charlie for a little while. Off and on, uh, worked with Malcolm much much longer. But in between that, I went down to the states because my simple philosophy was, if I wanted to be the best, I just go where the best are training. And I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship in the states, and fortunate enough to, um, or unfortunate enough, whatever you wanted to look at it, to uh, be in the same conference as a guy named Ronaldo Nehemiah, who was a world record holder at the time. Right. And, and I worked with him. Well, I, I, I got a program from Ronaldo and I worked with his coach for a while. And that set me on a, on a path to, you know, to the successes that I've had. So I learned a little bit from all the coaches along the, along the way. Um, a couple of coaches down in the States, went over to Europe, trained for a while, and then finally landed on what who I consider the best for coach, Malcolm Arnold. Right. I was actually reading some stuff on him. Uh, um, I heard about him. Uh, through uh, when I was my chats with Ben a little bit because I think Ben had some interaction with him as well. I'm not sure, but anyways, uh, so I uh, did some research on him and uh, pr pretty interesting guy, pretty interesting guy, pretty wide. Like he, um, he kind of s strikes me kind of like uh, you know one of the guru in the top of the mountain kind of thing. You know, like he would you know so, say, okay, yeah, this is not bad too, but had you know this might be better and it's more simplistic in one sense. So, which kind of leads me to my next question, you know, is expression simplicity is complexity in reverse, right? Tell me how you applied this to your training and in, in, in respect to like, say, you know, there's so many things. Uh, I mean, I see nowadays, you know, uh, functional training, all this kind of stuff, which I'm not saying no to it. So don't, you know, anybody out there, you know, <laughs> who does this stuff, Say Don't no, start right? sending me emails because I'm not a hater. I'm basically I'm the middle. I I use the expression uh, you can go to the extremes, but you got to come back to the middle. And uh, so tell me what you think. Uh, you know how would you how do you apply this, and if you applied it to your training? Uh, you know 
back when you saw us doing the running back, you know, all this hit training and all these uh, core training. And we, we used to do this stuff back in the 70s and 80s, and there was no name for it. We just did it. Uh, <laughs> right. And like I said, I think the reason that I've been able to maintain my fitness at this age is I do the same stuff. All these things come and go. All these fads come and go. All these diets come and go. But, you know, there's getting back to the basics. And that's what Malcolm was a great, at, you know, most people didn't like training with us because we trained hard. Obviously, you can't you can't get to that level without training hard. Sure. But it was so monotonous and, and uh, boring that people just left. It's like, well, you guys train hard, but it's, it's just so boring. Like you just do the same thing over and over again. I was like, yeah, that's that's what it takes. Most people aren't willing to do that. So none of the none of the training that we've done over the past 40 years has changed that much. People are just trying to make money off it by giving names to it. Functional training. Well, functional training is just doing what you do every day. Like you don't. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. I'm laughing inside, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. You know, and so yeah, come give me the give me the flat because I mean you don't like the flat. I'll argue with you all day long because you know what? I got a gold medal and you don't. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I'm still in shape and I'm better than you and everything else that goes along with it. So in yeah, your I, I like to, uh, I think you had a really key word there. And this is one of the things I think in this day and age, and it's, I think partially is because, you know, like when you and I grow up, cause we we're about the same age, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to the library or you had a, you bought, you went to, Coles, remember Coles bookstore, uh, and you and you bought a book maybe, and then you, you you read it, and then you made notes on it, and you you know, uh, but nowadays with the inundation of information, right? Information doesn't mean in, in, intelligence. This is a problem with the people think they if you have more information, you have more intelligence. No, intelligence is different. It's basically discernment of that information, right? So there's no filters, and you, with respect to what you said about consistency, so this is very important. I think in in you. You can you can add to this because I want you to add to this. You, do you think like people these days tend to move from one thing to another thing, and then like and like you said, you guys stay with something. I'm very much of the same philosophy. I keep doing something until basically you know what, no longer you know it reaps any benefits. Okay, now you have, you know you're forced to change. Otherwise, you're gonna regress. G- give me your take. Yeah, and, and the same thing is like we would train. Like there are new things coming out. I'm not saying there's there's not better stuff than what we used to do but we know what worked so if we keep the base of our program the same now if we find something that's intriguing the science uh, looks good or the philosophy of it looks good you can implement it maybe five percent it doesn't work you still got your 95 percent base if it works you add it to the program for next year it becomes a part of your 100 percent, and then you go out looking for other things so like you said i used to look in the magazines for nutritional information or whatever it is and you know send send a letter to or or application to new zealand to get the information that we wanted so a month (laughs) later you get all the info and you know in these big uh journals that they would send to your house and then you go through them so you know nowadays you just you know pull it up on idiot box and and you're an idiot because you believe everything you see on there there's too much information all like the one that got me this was Again, probably 10 or 20 years ago, muscle confusion. Right? <laughs> yeah. Muscles are smarter than you are. Like, <laughs> I, I, lo- I love all these, you know, these. Like, it's just a way to sell, sell something new. People want something new. It's exciting. It lasts for two or three months, and then they don't get any results, and they move on to something else. The people who get results are the ones who can sustain the boredom because being, I think being successful in anything is – a businesswoman here in Canada told me once is a repetition of mundane tasks. And most, I agree. People, most people aren't willing to do it. It's that simple. I agree. Day in, day out. And, uh, and that's, uh, it's funny. That's, uh, from, um, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Now give me an idea. Like, you know, you know, you, you mentioned something this earlier, this 5%, 90 95%. And so I think it kind of alludes to what we're talking here at the same time, uh, with respect to, uh, you know, implementing something. And I think, and I want, you know, add, add to this, uh, you know, I think this is my take. I think people tend to uh, gravitate at one thing and then they all, you know, everything kind of re- revolves around that. 
as opposed to like pulling back and going back to this, this idea of wisdom. For example, you're working with Charlie or working with Malcolm. These guys would kind of like, you know, uh, like my math teacher used to say, oh, you stand back and take a cold, hard look at it. You know, like don't just uh, jump into a, 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 the problem on the board, like stand back. Analyze what you got to do, and then plan your plan of uh, you know you know plan of attack kind of thing. Give me give me your take. Yeah, well, again, there's there are a lot of different ways out there, and I always keep saying like I found one that worked for myself, but it's not just me. It worked for everybody in our group. Everybody in our group that we worked when I was with Malcolm did exceedingly well. Uh, you got to find you got to sort of fit in the program that works for you because like, like I said, Charlie was a very intelligent, I think he went to Stanford and he, he didn't, you know, go there for track and field. He went there to, cause he was a very smart guy. Right. But his philosophy and program didn't work for me. Like right. for them, we could sit down and we could talk for hours, but our philosophies just didn't, didn't gel. So, you know, right. I, I couldn't see me, you know, moving forward with, Charlie's type of program. So I went searching other places. Number one, he was a sprint coach and I was a hurdler. So <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, what, what aspects of his philosophy? I mean, you know, without, you know, it's not too personal, but you know, the, you know, what aspects of his stuff relative to what you felt you needed at that time? What do you, what do you, well, what would you say? Like, I, and again, love him to death and I love our group to death. We had a great group of, of people, but sure. he, because he was actually, in a, a lot of people don't know that he actually went to the Olympics in 1972 in Munich. That's right. Got his ass kicked by all the Americans who were yes. supposedly at the time on, on all on drugs. Right. So his philosophy and training has always been based off of you can't be at that level without being on drugs. Well, I never believed mm. that, obviously. Um, my groups that I worked with outside of Charlie never believed that. So a lot of his stuff was geared towards that. And, you know, it wasn't my belief even though I tried it once with him. But uh, as I said, it, you know, I, it wasn't the path that I wanted to go down. It didn't work for me. Right, right. And so that was one of the, the main philosophies that we had that were different. So, so you know, for, for the most part, I would, I, uh, you know, because I competed uh, at, a, at a national level and I did one, inter, you know, one international event and, you know, against a pro professional team in, in cycling and, uh you know, the gap between amateur and professional is like huge. And, and sometimes you kind of, you know, always have the thought in, the mind, in your mind. But I always felt that regeneration was a really big part of training that. And, and you know, for so, you know, one of my profs, uh, Dr. Bob, always he said athletes took uh, for, uh, performance enhancing uh, drugs, basically, to compensate for inferior training and regeneration. And uh, so. You know, is there a way, do you think it's, I mean, uh, in this day and age, you know, you know, ever since 1988, the whole thing came out, you think, I mean, I think it's possible to do it without pharmacology. I think there's, you know, you can, but the problem is you, you have an athlete lifestyle, sometimes you're traveling this and forth. So I think sometimes people want to take the quick, quick route out, uh, you know, not necessarily from, a, you know, who knows their intentions, but the idea is like, you know what, well, this is definitely going to help me recover because it is known. I mean, you take something, you still got to train. This one, I think some kids don't, or people fail to realize the majority of people, uh, you know, when you take that stuff. You still got to, in fact, you try to train more because <laughs> it allows you to recover more. Right. right. So it's almost like they think, Oh, you just take every, you just take it. And Oh yeah. All of a sudden you're, uh, you know, Mark McCoy running 110 meter hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, that's exactly the thing. People used to say all the time, you know, Oh, Ben won because he took steroids. Well, that's because he trained twice as hard because he could take because he took the steroids. Wasn't he sitting on the couch drinking a beer and run out there, run a world record? It doesn't work that way. But in saying that, um, he also has this downside. Like, for example, the one year that I decided to work with Ben and Charlie and those guys, I tore my Achilles tendon. So wow. I, was, I was, you know, it, it was detrimental to me. The, you know, everybody I've trained with since then doesn't use uh, performance enhancing drugs. I've worked with Donovan. I've worked with Colin. I've worked all these guys have won. Right. Champions, Olympic champions. They don't use performance enhancing drugs. It just, it's a longer path. That's all. Most people are not willing to, you know, put the time and effort in it. So 
you know, there's two ways you get to the same point. One's just a lot more work, a lot harder, but it's also a lot safer. Mm -hmm. Right. Very. Uh, yeah. Well, well, well said there. So just go back there a little bit with your you had an Achilles injury. Was it a complete rupture? Was it a partial tear? What, what was it was it? Uh, it was partially torn, very inflamed. In 88, I was getting cortisone shots in my uh, Achilles every six weeks. Wow. Um, so, but yeah. So again, things that people don't know. I was get. I had a cortisone shot. Uh, cortisone shot in um in Seoul right before right before I started competing. I could barely could barely walk. Then I had an operation right after Seoul. So okay. I, was out, I was out for two years right after Seoul because they had to go in clean it up. It didn't completely rupture, <laughs> luckily, but uh, I said it was a lot of damage, a lot of inf inflammation. I had to go and get it uh, operated on. So and but I you know at that point I was like. I'm done. I'm retired. I'm not ever going to comp compete again. So I didn't care. But right. I decided to make a comeback and it took me 18 months to recover from that surgery. 18 months. And who was the uh, I mean, obviously, you must have did a multiple of different things. Uh, but what were the kind of the key things you can can you can you share with us? They were you did. Well, number one, I just once I knew I couldn't do any damage to it. Just work through it. It was painful. It was painful. I, I remember there was he's he's gone now too. I mean, I'm not sure if you know. I remember Morris Zupkovich? Yeah, he passed away. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, I used to work with Ben and Charlie. You know, right? Yeah. He was awesome. I used to go to him every day. He he had the very not the very first, but for first we knew of uh, laser cold laser. There right. He used to have right. his office. I used to go down there daily, and he was treat me. Didn't charge me at all. From there, I went to train with Colin in England, and he yeah. actually gave me a portable machine to take with me, free of charge. And I, every time I, after training every day, when I'm not training, I had that laser machine on my foot. And my ex-wife, my first ex-wife, I got two of them. I'm not good in that department. Uh, <laughs> We're <laughs> all learning. She was East German, and she, was, she massaged it every single day. So it recovered really well. So the combination of, again, the laser that Morris gave me and the uh, massage. And I said it took a long time, but uh, 18 months later, it was 100%. Great. Wow. And you, and you ended up uh, winning uh, 1992, right? Seems to have worked, huh? <laughs> I guess so, eh? Wow. That's, uh, that's a pretty good – that's a story in itself, comeback time. <laughs> I like the comeback wow. story. I, I like challenge and adversity. That's – that's what drives me. I can see that. Yeah. Well, you have to be. I think you're going to if you're going to be a competitive athlete, I think you have to sort of embrace competition and challenge. That's the whole idea behind being an athlete. Right. And it transcends in your life later on, too, for sure. Um, so give me give me an idea. Like, uh, you know, did you do any sort of like, on a typical uh, when you're competing, let's say uh, in the United States or in, in, in Wales? Right. Did you were you guys. Did you guys have a lot of regeneration services? Did you have like access to massage therapy? Was it something that you kind of later on picked up? Or, um, so when I was in the states, they they were pretty good with thing the general stuff. But actually, universities and even pro teams for that matter, their medical system and staff is not that good. I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. the right. low, low end of the barrel or bottom of the barrel for these guys but yeah well, but it would be like you know hot cold sauna cold pools just your regular stuff like that there wasn't much right. in the way of massage because quite frankly it costs too much it costs a lot more now yeah. here, here's the thing i think is the biggest thing ever and again lucky to be training with colin lucky to be in england at the right time at the right place at the right time we had what i consider to be the best massage therapist in the universe, forget the planet. He was amazing. What was um, his name? If you want to give a plug out, Mark Zambada. Mark he, Zambada. Yeah, he worked for Colin. Colin and Linford hired him. And the first time I met him, like, this, and it, this, it wasn't a very, you know, big, strong. He gave the most deep massages you'll you'll ever have. Um, but I'll tell you the difference. Like a lot of people try to mimic him, and they couldn't because right. a lot of people like deep massage. You got to get into the tissue. But from all people, sometimes, heard, yeah, sure. Ex well, exactly. Well, exactly. You got to know what you're doing. So yeah. from all people I've heard is like they'll get in there and it's so painful because this guy was basically massaging our bones through our muscles. 
Um, mm, yeah. When they get off the table, they're like the next day, oh, I'm so sore because I had this deep massage yesterday. As soon as he's, his hands left your body, there was no pain. You feel like butter. Like everything was just so smooth. So the first time I met him, I was running with Colin. It was in the mm-hmm. dark, and cold and wet. It's Wales. And I didn't know him. And he was standing by the fence just watching the runs. And he goes, Mark, come here. And I go, yeah. He goes, uh, why do you run like that? And I, well, <laughs> I thought I was running fine. I've been running fine. <laughs> and the, the, inside, the inside the hamstring, I can't remember if it's semi-membranosis or semi-tendinosis. I think it's membranosis. Okay. It was always tight. No big deal. It was just tight. I stretched it out and run. It would just, I could always feel it. Wasn't going to pull, nothing, no injury, just tight. And he goes, you don't straighten out your legs when you run. You're like running like your legs are tight. I'm like, they are tight, but it's how they run. He goes, come here. I was, you know, five layers of clothes on because it was cold and wet. And he just did some what they now call uh, active release in, uh, hmm. my, on my hamstrings. Yeah. Felt like I was floating. Like the tightness that I've had for the last 10 or 15 years was gone. Wow. Nope. Nobody had seen that, and he didn't even know me. So the, the point I'm trying to make is 1992 was the only year in my 16-year career that I wasn't – that I didn't get injured at all. Makes wow. A difference. When you can continuously train without a break for injury, which, I mean, every, all sprinters or ha- you know, pull hamstrings or, you know, get little sure. – Nothing that year. This guy was right. injured. So – well, this- that's a very, very, very profound uh, point you make there because I, I, my big thing is regeneration. And um, I really feel that, you know, before you can implement the training, make sure you got the recovery is set up for it. Yeah, otherwise, train less because that way you can recover and come back the next day. And a good, a good set of hands, uh, man, I tell you, it's worth uh, pricing gold. Like, you know, it's funny. Just let me ask you something here because you're, we talked about this a while ago, and you know, you 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 were mentioning that you know, and it's something that Malcolm Arnold actually that's kind of put you on to Malcolm because Malcolm was able to pinpoint exactly what your problem was because you're losing an inch every stride, and then you told me that you you actually won uh, Barcelona by 39 inches, which big three, 39 strides, and you're losing one inch per side stride. So go, going back to this idea where your foot was torqued out, you know, the natural tendency is. Uh, from what I know is that then the upper leg uh, tries to come back in to kind of pull that foot back in. So it's just, it's just like a torque in the knee, which would in somewhat explain some of your inner tightness in that hamstring. Right. But and did, did this foot, did he recognize this after Malcolm? I mean, were you, you know, were you uh, still had that issue uh, or is it something that he corrected? And then, well, after that, then your, your foot. Oh, no. they, that was all. That was basically um, a med- mental problem. Is that I just wasn't thinking about it. I just I would okay. go hurdle without basically not thinking enough. Is what Malcolm was saying. It's like just think about it. So Malcolm corrected it in like thirty seconds. <laughs> like it was, it was <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why don't you just Why don't you just put it down straight? And I'm like I, I don't know. Never thought about it. So you, it, it was just. It had nothing to do with. It wasn't a biomechanical issue. Okay. Okay. It was a mental issue. It was like just black. Just nobody told me to do that before. I just run over the damn hurdles. Right. And I know you work as a as a conditioning coach and a speed coach uh, for some top top level athletes right now. Do you do you uh, I mean, you know, do you do some of your massage for your athletes, or do you have somebody else do it? Like, how, I mean, yeah. you know, Charlie's right. one of those guys. Like, I remember he was telling me uh, when he was working with uh, Super Mike. Uh, you know. Mike was, I think, that 18 or something athletes, and you know, Mike's like, I can't do all this. And they gave you gave Charlie a stack of towels, and he gave him a jug of oil, and he says, "Here, go to it." <laughs> and Charlie, over time, picked up a lot of uh, you know techniques that, and obviously, then working with Valdemar, which you know brought him to another level. Uh, you know, give me give me your take on 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 that, like you know. Yeah, I I used to do all of my uh, athletes. Uh, way back, I don't do it anymore anymore because it, it is it's just too much too time consuming, right? And, yeah, uh, take too much too much energy. Like I, it does. You want a massage and you want car, go see a massage therapist, whatever you need to do, a therapist, and come back and I'll do the training because it was just too much. But 
I did learn because we spent so much time with Mark, myself and Colin, uh, and you know, he's working on this two, three hours a day sometimes. And I'm watching yes. when we're talking and he's watching me that in Barcelona, Colin actually got injured. Um, he's told us for him. I'm not sure if your viewers know that is he pulled a muscle in his back in the quarterfinals. Wow. Otherwise, he would have kicked my ass. <laughs> okay. Who are we kidding? Colin was the number one hurdler in the world that year. And he uh, pulled a muscle from his own fault because he was uh, too cocky. And he said it in many interviews before. Uh, so I'm not uh, I'm not cussing him out for this. Right. Uh, so right before the final, uh, and Britain has way more uh, therapists than we did at the Olympics. And they had all the tents set up at the warm-up track. There was like 10 of them there. And Colin wouldn't let any of them touch him. I was working on my biggest competitor's back. Half an hour before we were running the final, they were looking at each like, what is he doing? Like You were working on Colin. I was working on Colin. <laughs> I learned so much from Mark that he didn't trust anybody else. And I didn't trust anybody else. Nobody else was touching us but us. So hey. uh, I, I learned so much from around, being around Mark because he was with us for years after that, that, you know, we did each other's therapy. It's interesting you say that. Is it, you know, it's which really lends to the point where sometimes it's not necessarily this, you know, not, not, not taking you down here, but you know, it's not necessarily this best skilled hands, but if that person on the person who's receiving that feels that complete trust, yeah, I think there's a lot to that and you may not have the best. And let's just say, you, like, you know, you, you, you right. don't have the greatest, but yeah. let's just, you know, let's, yeah. uh, but the fact that he, his energy allowed, you know, uh, he said, yeah, I know I trust this guy. I know he's not going to hurt me. And I think that's a real key point there because, you know, you go, like you said, you, you, you would go to another massage therapist and the guy would beat the crap out of you. And then you'd feel sore for the next three days. But then you go to this, you go to, you go to Mark and you felt, yeah, he didn't hurt me. And so I think, you know, it's like Colin's like, yeah, this guy's not going to hurt me. Whereas if I go to the other people, I don't know. I, um, there's a bit of ambivalence and, this is really a big thing when you're doing regeneration work, I feel, uh, is that you really have to get that trust before you actually can put your hands on that person. Yeah. Well, it also helps. I'm, I'm sure the neurological response, I don't know what it is, but uh, the muscles just relax more. Because like you said, you're, oh, you're, sure. you're in an environment where ah, I can relax. Yeah, if your mind's the, relaxed, you're not feeling yeah. threatened, you're not going to put that subconscious guard up. Exactly. You're, you're less tense. You know the yeah. person, because every time... Uh, it's like I, I, I work as a, uh, osteopath and I do some structural body work. And one of the areas that I really kind of, even though it may show up in my assessment, I will actually wait a couple of sessions into my work before I'll actually do it. And that's right up into the origin of where the, the hamstrings and the adductors, uh, uh, make their attachment. It's called the ramus. It's on the inside of the, the sit bone there. And that area, I've had work done on it when I was learning my stuff. Uh, it feels like a hot poker, like yeah. and and so I know that what it feels like, and I I kind of let let the person get used to me doing my work, do the other stuff, and then what I'll wait, and then even though it may show up, I'll say you know I'll just wait a couple sessions and I'll get into it then. By that time, they're more relaxed, like you said, you 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 feel this person's not going to hurt you, and yeah. if they do cause a little bit of discomfort, they know the intention behind it. It's not like it, like it, they will try to relax more. Makes a big and, difference. Uh, yeah, makes a big difference. Makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. So, uh, moving on a bit here, give, give me your take on uh, monitoring. In the past, what you did, college, for example, then you worked with Malcolm, and then you know what you think currently now. Because I know I seen you on the Instagram. By the way, I do watch your Instagram. So, <laughs> yeah, I like them. I like them. You know, it's obviously not. You know, for me, it's. Uh, um, I like listening to people, uh, a bit biased, but I like listening to people have very similar sort of thinking. And I think it's – and what, you, what you're what you espousing on these Instagram things I think is really good. It's kind of what people need to hear. They don't need to hear complexity. They need to hear simplicity. And if you just do a few basic things, really, truly, just let it evolve. But going back to monitoring, give me your take what you did in, in, in college, if you did any, and then going forward, and then what you think – uh now because i watch your instagram you know i I know you got that sleep uh thing on your uh it's your um ring i think your right finger your index finger there and then you or the left index finger and then i think you got the watch 
Uh, yeah, yeah, you got that. So give me your take. So again, I use it because I'm at a stage where I'm sort of seeing what's happening as I do different things and experiment with different things and seeing how I can find another 5% for all these athletes or any or anybody who's trying to get better health. Um, I think they're overused by athletes. In a, or okay. What, from what I've seen, like a lot of my athletes use the Whoop because I can monitor. It's, it's more for me, not for them. Right. They, the first thing they get up in the morning and they check, how's my recovery? How's my sleep? How's my HRB? All these, how's my heart rate? All these things like, and if it's bad, it blows their mind. Like, okay, oh, I'm going to have a shitty session today because my recovery is terrible. I'm like, no, that's not what it's for. <laughs> it's, a, it's a gauge and a guide. And if you know how to, if you know how to use these things properly, it yes. can help. But I just think they're they're so much overused. We never we never used anything. We didn't even no heart rate, no anything. It's just like you feel good, all right, go for it. You don't feel good today, take it easy in case you pull something. Like there was there was not there was no tracking of anything. I didn't have any gauges, gadgets, or anything back in uh, back in the day through from college all the way through to the to the Olympics. Really? Uh, I mean, the coach never asked, "Hey, Mark, how do you feel today?" <laughs> that that was yeah, that was the gauge. That feel? was the gate, and, yeah. and, you, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay, let's go." <laughs> like one step, one step further is, uh, you know, it's sometimes I guess, I guess once you get to know, you get to know the, the coach or the coach gets to know the athlete, uh, it's how you answer. It's like, oh, I feel terrible. Uh, that's doesn't like if the way you say it. It's like doesn't matter. You're gonna go balls to the wall anyway. So, right. <laughs> not just what comes out of your mouth it's your actions and your body your your body movements as well right so but yeah i, I mean i think there's a, a place for them i just think you have to know just like anything else you don't just go out and buy one put it on and say okay today i'm gonna go hard and today i'm not and that's yeah. you know it's, we like to be simplistic but that's a little too simplistic um i think people are looking for you know people are always looking for the band-aid the, the quick fix so they, you know, if I use this, I can get my training better. But you know, you again, you have to do some work and figure and do some reading and some research. Yeah. Okay, how do I how do I use this effectively? Not just take everything it says verbatim. Yeah, that's a very key point. I remember training back in the day, and uh, we used to use. I was one of the probably first people to use a heart rate monitor to train. And back in the day, we had the Seiko, and it was a wired transmitter that you had to wear and you had an armband and it would go to your chest had a chest strap and then you would have these two little electrodes on there so it would actually go to the watch like a wire to the watch it would tell you your heart rate and uh this was based on the work by um uh, paul coachley he's he was a trainer for uh uh greg lamont bernardino some of those so those levy claire that's when they basically that team was doing really well in the tour and part of it was uh, Paul Coetzee was a, a Swiss um, uh, cyclist that became a director sportif for the Levy Claire team. And he imparted this knowledge on Le Mans and Le Mans wrote his book. And that's when I got a hold of that. And that's when I went out and got the uh, Seiko Heart Reminder. But I remember using it. And um, some days, like, you know, you want to do an interval. And, you know, you, you know, based on that equation, 220 miles your age. OK, well, this is your, you know. But you're maxing. Like you, this is where I think technology, you have to really kind of put things in context, right? If I went by that, and this is what I did, I say, you know, okay, A plus B equals C. Uh, I, some days I couldn't get to my max heart rate, even though I'm going balls to the wall, I couldn't get it. And because my heart muscle was tired. And then the other thing too was occasionally, sometimes you would get a false reading from the machine. And so you would have to like, you know, so this is where I think sometimes what happens is that you, like you said, you this, this reliance on technology too much. The athlete uh, relies too much on the outward, as opposed to relying on the inward intuitive knowledge of what their body is actually saying. Uh, what, what do you think of that? I, again, uh, I think it comes down to what you hear about the the art and science of coaching. Uh, I'm mm. sure we've both taken those courses back at York University way back in the day. Yes. And, and there's both important, but there's too much science and not enough art. Like you said, when you're working with young athletes, it's hard for them to understand what's going on. Like, yes, it's a feeling thing. You need they need guidance. That's why they have a coach. Yes. Uh, 
Um, so it's the coach's job to impart, impart and decipher like how that athlete's, you know, from what that athlete's saying, how he's moving, uh, to use the science that's there, especially now for that athlete, because they're not old, old enough to understand it. That's why, you know, the brain's not developed till you're 25. That's why insurance goes down. <laughs> Most of these athletes are, you know, 18 to 22. They, even though they think they know it all, they cognitively, they just can't understand what's going on. So that's the importance of having a coach, especially in those younger ages and those of their career. Right. So do you, do you, when you work with your athletes or your clients, I mean, I, 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 I uh, we're somewhat in the same business to a certain degree. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, in the warm up. I am, uh, you know, when they come in and I picked some of these things up from Charlie, I, he would ask, you know, uh, and this is what I hear from Ben. Ben would tell me, I, or Charlie would ask you, how are you doing today? And you kind of engage the conversation. And, he, and he's like you said, like he'd look at your responses, like what, what kind of like, you know, with your, and then he would watch you warm up. And I remember one time, because uh, uh, we used to go to York and Ben used to come there strolling around 11 o'clock and we used to have a spare. So I used to eat my lunch up there and up in the gallery there and, you get yeah, basically you get a free show watching Ben work out. And I remember one time he did his warm up. Uh, he you know he get his massage from Valdemar about a half hour, and then he'd go do a warm up laps, and then he would start uh, you know progressively getting into his drills. And uh, I remember you know Charlie's watching all this, and uh, after you know uh, I thought well, okay we're gonna be here for a good two hours. It's good we get some entertainment while we're watching while we're eating our lunch. And within about let's say 30, 40 minutes, basically packed up and left. I'm like, <laughs> hey, I paid for this. What's going on here? <laughs> and I asked him one time when I was working with him, I said, Ben, is he, I, don't, I don't think you remember this, but why would you have left so early? Like, what was, oh, he says, because Charlie saw something in my warm-up. And then, or Valdemar basically would, you know, tell Charlie the status of the muscles as he was working on them prior to the warm-up. And then also uh, he would, you know, listen to the footsteps. And if the contact time was too heavy, right, and he would just, by the sound, Charlie would know, know this. Yeah. And then he would, he would terminate. He said, no, we're not doing speed today. We're, not, we're just going to do something. You know, we're going to take a day off. Yeah. And so that's what I said. Wow. So, I mean, how'd you know that? It's like, it's like well, he's just, he's sort of, this is, again, going back to sort of like, do you use this kind of stuff? I mean, with your experience, I mean, you must look at your athletes and say, okay, yeah, you know what? Today, today, you know, let's, today's a recovery workout. It's sauna. <laughs> you know, yeah. give me your take. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's just experience. And I, I get it because one, I've seen it for all these years, but I've done it. And I, speaking of uh, listening, it's so important. People are always like just watching, watching, watching. I used to do this drill where we'd film everything when, when I was in Britain training, all of our hurdle drills, just to, and we uh, sit down with Colin and we'd go over things that were good, things were bad, things that need to be corrected. But at nighttime, what I would do is I'd turn off the, the video portion and just listen to Colin's footsteps because he had the quickest feet on the, and you can hear it. You can hear when he's running fast and you can hear when he's not running fast. And it's, you know, it's just learn through, you know, years and years and years of, of doing and, and, um, and seeing. So now I get, yeah, I can tell with my, my athletes if they come in and they're flat and it's like, you're not, you're not, you're just not going to push it. You still work hard. It's yeah. still work out to do, you, but you say, you know, instead of this, you're doing this, uh, because you're, you're flat, you're not moving, you, you know, and, and feedback from them, you know, this is tight, my back, my whatever. And I, you know, shouldn't be out partying last night, but I, <laughs> well, we don't want to get hurt, so we'll change it. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's strictly, I think just years of, of, I said, I'm, I'm luckier, luckier than most when it comes to like personal trainers or whatever that a lot of them go to school and they sure. study and know it and they got master's degrees in physiology, but they've never done it. So yeah, I, yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit before. It's like, if you, you know, you have all that knowledge, it, there's one thing to have all the knowledge and there's the experience of actually feeling what that feels like. And that's a huge, huge difference. It is. You can, uh, and it kind of lends to this idea right now. I find there's a cult of scienceism as opposed to science. And basically, like, you know, you look at a research paper and say, oh, OK, this happens. 
Um, and so then we have to apply it now. I mean, and the experience is like, like you said, this experience is telling you, no, no, okay, you can't just apply that. And going back to what we said earlier, but was 5%, you know, like how much of that is going to actually give me, and for the amount of effort and time I put into something, is that going to give me an additional couple of percent? Otherwise, I, I need to put my eggs in another basket. And going back to this idea of general training, which leads me to this other question. What's your take? I mean, I know where, you, you know, Ben trained and I used to go there uh, compared, you know, maybe I'm not sure your facilities were like uh, down in the States. I'm assuming, assuming they were pretty good at that time, but uh, definitely not nowhere near what they were at York where I'm not sure what you trained in the UK in terms of how simplistic the facility is compared to, I mean, you go to a modern gym now, uh, like an athletic gym, let's say a college gym, and it is just like Aleko. It's, uh, you know, I'm not doing a plug for Aleko here, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it could be Sorenex. It could be like, I mean, it's got everything known to man. But yet you guys, in my opinion, like working with Ben and working with some other athletes, it's it's not the facility. It was the coach and the people in the facility that made it. And what's your take on that? 100%. Like you said, you've been in New York facility that we used to train in. The weight, the weight room, about as big as your broom closet. <laughs> and, oh. and just to just to talk, kind of remind the readers here, give give me an idea of the weight room, because uh, you you and I what it looks like. But give the give the viewer like uh, listeners, like when you walked in the track center and then you went to your left, you had the universal on the outside. But give give me an idea of what was inside the weight room. Yeah, well, it wasn't even a weight room really. It was just <laughs> a, an empty room. It had a bench. It had an yes. incline. And yes. they were talking about a shaky old one. I'm not talking about these nice solid ones that you see now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> one page. But in all in all, you know what? To to give it its dues, it was probably one of the only places that had uh, a platform to let to do Olympic. That's right. Yeah. And you had a cage there. And the cage that cage is still hanging in. And the bars I when you They're pull out the spotter <laughs> bars. Some of those spotted bars are still bent. They haven't replaced them, I think. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so back to your point. Like, I what kills me? Like, sure, it, when you go to the states and they have these. I mean, if you've ever been to the weight room in Texas, it's a size. They actually, when I was there training with Donovan, they the year later they took down the track, they ripped it up to put the weight room for the football team. It was the size oh. of the track. Wow. So that's how big it was. That was just. So they have phenomenal um, facilities, but high performance is not a facility. And that's what, you know, these kids go into these places now that are really decked out with everything and they're beautiful. And if they go from there to somewhere else, it's not quite as nice. They're like, oh, I can't train in here. It doesn't have this, doesn't have that. Wales was wow. Wales. So if you if you picture, well, we used to go in, there was two places, but one of the places to use was underneath a, a, a stadium. So the you know the stairs go down, so it's on an angle, like that. <laughs> right. Barely, so it's like barely in there. One resty bar, and you know it's not a leco. So you leco they they roll nice and easy. So when you're doing a yes. clean, yes, it feels so smooth. This was rusty. Yes. Whole, all the weights on the bar turn with you. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was, there, There's your functional training right there. Maybe 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 Alico will start making rusty bars now. I don't know. <laughs> and there was you know. Just one of them with metal weights, so they're like, and you drop metal weights on on concrete. There was no platforms, so it was just talking about the basics. It's like Rocky <laughs> lifting up uh, rocks and 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 uh, trees outside. It was basic, basic, basic. High performance is in the mind, not in the soul. I agree. And give me, I mean, you you must have did this one. I think a lot of times people underestimate a few exercises uh like medicine ball just using the medicine ball I, and i know now they got every different weight of medicine ball underneath the sun all the way from like 200 pounds to these you know like the tiny ones like you know for for pitchers and kind of stuff but you know i think you know from what i remember ben and those guys only use like a four maybe and then a five kg ball and that was it and basically and this is the guy who uh who was hauling up like uh you know uh, you know, 475 for three before Seoul. So he's using like a 5 kg ball. So g give me your take on, on using medicine balls. Same thing. It's like, it's, it's very dynamic. It's very, like we're, we move. Talking about functional training. They, again, come up with names. We got, <laughs> it's, it's one thing to be able to squat 
five, six, seven hundred pounds. But I got there's a lot of big, strong guys in the gym that can't put one foot in front of the other. We need to be yeah. dynamic. We need to we need to develop power, and that's we used to throw a lot of med balls and stuff like that. And they they don't have to be heavy. Like you you know, I got some guys will go from you know like a five k to a twenty k. Goes look at what I can do. It's like yeah, but you can't move it now. <laughs> and you just get hurt. <laughs> we, want, we want to explode and move them fast. It's not about how much weight you can do. It's how fast you can move that weight. So we're and, and most sports are speed oriented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny you say moving and uh, the idea of sprinting. I consider these activities to be somewhat of a primordial, innate reality. And I and going back to the idea, if you if we were a hunter gatherer society, you would have to know how to sprint. Either chasing something or running away from something. You would have to know how to throw something. That's a medicine ball. So I think over time, we, you know, uh, and I could be wrong, we sort of migrated from this, obviously from that society, that sort of living uh, standard to industrial to postmodern. And now we're like, you know, in front of a, a computer for eight hours a day. And then we go back and we spend time in a weight room and we're seated again. And uh, I, I do a lot of medicine ball work with kids, which kind of lends me in this other ne- next question, basically, is, um, you know, what's your take on working with kids? I mean, I mean, I know there's a trend now and perhaps maybe these sun, these studies were funded by the companies that make the weight room equipment. And so they they're I've seen literally in catalogs where they redesign weight room equipment to fit children. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I'm thinking I don't think that's a good idea because children at a certain age, and you can be more probably attest to this, uh, you know, from age five to like age 12, like you really can't develop a lot of stuff. But what you can develop is a lot of different skills and you can develop a lot of elasticity uh, using implements and stuff like that. Not necessarily a medicine ball, but you can like throwing, catching, running. These are and basically comes back to this idea of track and field, gymnastics. You know, being the fundamental, maybe a team sport or swimming like that, being like the fundamental basics of of uh, what we call like you know multilateral development for children. What's your take? Yeah, well, again, I I don't think age has much to do with it. It's like you said, if they are, depending on how you long, how young they started with activities, some right. are yes. very very athletic and their movements. Yes. I have some kids who uh, well, they're probably in their early early teens now, but been working with them since they were like six seven eight years old and they right. move so and they're small they're not big kids they move right. so well that you can start introducing uh weight programs to them strength strength programs i should say it doesn't have to be weights there's lots of ways to develop strength yes. but it, it depends on the on the kid on the kid some of them are very capable and some of them at 20 years old still can't do it so it's it's all a matter of um you know their mobility their sure. ability, their, you know, how fast they pick things up. Um, and then you get, and that this is where the art comes in from coaching is like, okay, well, you guys are both 15 years old. You move well, you don't, you can do a squat. You can't because if you load a, an incorrect posture, you're calling for trouble. If the posture is perfect. Yes. Okay. You can, you can add some, some load to that. But so, Specifically, can you? Should they be they uh, building equipment for kids? Don't need it. You just use anything else, anything that anybody else is using. But there's a time and a place. Not usually depending on age, but on ability. Right. And do you think like I see kids? Like I remember growing up as a kid, and I worked it out on paper one time. I was work. I was probably moving about twelve to fifteen hours a week, and we'd play. And we're an immigrant family coming to Canada, so I mean, my, both my parents worked, so I mean, there was no hockey and stuff. But we played ball hockey, we played baseball, like, and a lot with the kids that hang around in the neighborhood, their their parents were immigrants too, so they didn't have like the formal sort of stuff. But now nowadays, you come out and you know, you see kids like like a, like a five year old kid playing soccer. He's like he's he's dressed up as he's playing for Man U. <laughs> Meanwhile, like we're we're playing like you know you know we just pick have a pickup game of soccer. And then, you know, maybe next day we play baseball or we played football. Like, and else in a lot of times too, if the guy, the guy that had the ball, he couldn't come out because he was grounded because he did something stupid. <laughs> so now the other guy who had the, who had another ball, like a football, that's what you played that day. <laughs> so 
but it, you had a lot of movement uh, overall. But I, I find kids nowadays tend to be too structured into one particular sport. Maybe they do another one, but it's too it's too formal at an early age. And what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think kids should play. Uh, you played, I played. We've gotten away from that. Doesn't mean that you can't specialize. Like if I'm a sure. hockey player and I'm playing from the time I was three and I'm triple A and I'm getting coaching, that's okay. Like, and I think you need, if you want to, that's your goal. Mind you, it's usually the parent's goal, not the kid. But anyway, <laughs> that's, regardless, that's your goal and you want to structure that program for them. As long as the kid's having fun and, you know, the kid's the one getting up going, you know, take me here. I want to do this hockey training. I want to do the, whatever it is. But you still got to have the other stuff in place because you need the diversity, the body, the brain. Um, I used to, you know, one of the things I did, I remember as a kid, we used to just have this big field and it was, you know, these little, uh, I don't know what the sheds or houses on the, on this field. And we'd run around and we'd climb up on top of the house, which was like a one story house and jump off onto the floor. So right. Mark, we're going to have to, Mark, we're going to have to maybe call you back because for some reason, it stopped recording here. One second here. Uh, hold on. Let me... Uh... All right. System.ca podcast disclaimer. We're not here to tell you that we know everything. Just We're just here to present possibilities. The information presented is by no way intended as medical advice or as a substitute for medical counseling. The information should be used in conjunction with the guidance and care of your physician. Consult your physician before bringing, beginning this program as you would with any, any, any other exercise nutrition program. If you choose not to obtain consent of your physician and or work with your physician throughout the duration of your time using the recommendation given, you are agreeing to the, accept full responsibility for your actions. By continuing, you recognize that despite all precautions on the part of the system, the art and science of coaching, there are risks or of injuries or illness which can occur because of your use of the aforementioned information, and you especially assume risks can waive, relinquish, and release any claim which you have against the system, the art and science of coaching, or any of its affiliates as a result of any future physical or illness incurred in connection with or as a result of the use or misuse of this information given. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, distributed, or transmitted in any form or by any means, including photocopy, recording, or any other electronic or mechanical methods without the prior written permission of the system, the art and science of coaching, except in the case of brief quotations of body and critical reviews and certain other non-commercial uses permitted by copyright law. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the content, please hit the subscribe button. Check out the system.ca for more information on services and more content like this and also products. Take care.